Chapter Three of Countdown by Kurt Becker, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Twenty-three. Every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday during the summer months, when there was no school, Ned and Walter Drew had a workout in the Hillstown High School gym with Mike Buchan, the athletic director. This morning, Ned felt a little uneasy about going to the gym. Owen had forbidden Deborah ever to let Walter into the house again, and he would be furious if he found out that Ned was on his way to spend practically the whole day in Walter's company. Workout was precisely that. Mike was their friend, but he was the coach, and once in the gym he gave orders. They had a definite program. Ned had grown very rapidly, more than seven inches during the first half of the year, and as a result his arms and legs tended to get in their own way. Mike had designed a course in rope skipping, punching a light bag, gymnastics, and swimming intended to overcome that awkwardness as soon as possible. And Walter, whose right leg had been partly paralyzed by an attack of polio two years before, was carrying through a system of exercises worked out by some doctor Mike had known in the Air Force, intended to strengthen what muscles he had left in his right leg and correct a weakness in his left. Walter was sensitive about the withered appearance of his leg and both Mike and Ned were trying with patience and the warmth of their friendship, with the gentle laughter of real affection, to steel his will against the enervating idea that he was a cripple. Ned enjoyed the workouts hugely. In the shadowy dimness of the empty gym, their voices and their laughter echoed with a friendly sound as they sweated and strained to bring themselves to peak condition. Mike was stocky and rugged, and his body was rock-hard and perfectly disciplined. Ned could only marvel at the grace and ease with which the coach went through a slow-motion routine on the parallel bars, and the flashing quickness of his movements as he twisted Walter's body into improbable positions on the wrestling mat, forcing the boy to use forgotten muscles and unfamiliar sinews. It looked, and from the sound of Walter's occasional gasps, was painful and even brutal. But there was no doubt about the fact that there had been a steady improvement in both Walter's attitude and his ability to get around with his brace since they had begun their workouts after school closed. This morning, faintly troubled, Ned stopped skipping his rope and watched the other two engage in a sort of tug-of-war, which found them sitting with their feet braced against each other, holding a short length of rope by handles at either end, each trying to pull the other forward as each leaned back, straining against the rope. They were, with the exception of Father Carson, the only real friends Ned had in town. And now Owen, who already had on more than one occasion expressed disapproval of both the priest and the coach, was making ready, Ned felt sure, to interfere with his friendship with Walter Drew, because Walter's father had not backed up Owen in his quarrel with Best. In Owen's mind, Ned knew, any difference of opinion with him meant the end. Owen was already at odds with a large number of people in town who had disagreed with him for some reason or other, or whom he suspected of having done him wrong. He was, for instance, bitter about Father Carson, the temporary pastor of All Saints Church. Ned learned that Father Bolton, the regular pastor, had suffered a severe heart attack and had gone away for a long rest. The bishop had sent Father Carson, a much younger man, to hold the fort until the older priest was well enough to resume his duties. Owen had no strictures against Father Bolton, except the fact that he was foolish enough to be a Catholic in the first place, but against the younger priest he was bitter. He was convinced that Father had rallied the Catholics of Hillstown against him when he tried to get elected to the school board. The fact that he had no children, and was therefore not regarded as an ideal choice for deciding about the education of children, never occurred to him. He was convinced. That was enough. Added to this was the fact that Father Carson's mother had been a Mexican. She was a spick, 
talk with a Spanish accent all the days of her life, he would say contemptuously. He had a similar axe to grind up at Mike Puikin. His father had been a refugee, a Pole. Dirty Pollock was the way Owen phrased it, good for nothing except digging ditches. The fact that Ned was a Catholic, who insisted, quietly and without fussing, on being on good terms with the only Catholic priest in town, baffled Owen. "'Can't understand why you want to see that limping little spick priest,' he said over and over. "'People are saying you're too close to him. They're not liking it, boy. You ought to watch it.' Ned ignored him. Father Carson was a short, energetic man, who walked with a decided limp. His left leg had been shattered in an accident in the seminary, and all sorts of surgery had been tried on him, with the result that the leg was a little shorter than its mate, and that had made it impossible for him to fulfill his life's ambition of going on the foreign missions. "'So I took up astronomy, math, and physics, instead of languages,' he once said, matter-of-factly. "'I'll be ready to act as chaplain when we take off for places like Mars and Venus.' He grinned. His rooms were cluttered with books of all sizes, including a large and fascinating collection of gaudy paperbacks about space, space travel, and similar scientific and pseudoscientific fiction. He also owned, to Ned's delight, practically every book Ned's father had written. "'Your father was a great man, Ned,' he had told the boy solemnly, as soon as he found out who he was. He never wrote or said anything that was not intelligent and profoundly true. I felt a great personal loss when he was killed.' "'So did I, father,' Ned had answered simply, feeling a sudden sense of loneliness, and the priest had put an oddly comforting hand on his shoulder. "'Now he knows that everything he said was true, and I think he's not only having a perfectly wonderful time in heaven with your mother, but he's keeping a wary eye out for you, too. Otherwise, you probably would not have landed here, where I can look after you, as I intend to do, if you let me.' Somehow that had sounded just like his father, and Ned had nodded, a little choked up, and arranged to act as altar-boy on Monday, Tuesday, and Saturday, when Father Carson said Mass at All Saints Church in Hillstown. Some of the grammar school boys would handle it on Sunday. The other days, Father said Mass elsewhere. I'm chaplain at Baldwin's, and they're entitled to some of my time, too. Ned had no idea what or where Baldwin's was. A convent, he supposed, or a hospital, or some town in the neighborhood. Ned found his friendship with Father Carson something completely natural. Priests of every size and color had always been welcome in his father's home in Larchmont, where Ned had lived very happily with his father and mother. Then a plane came whistling out of the gray sky one fateful afternoon, changing the house into a smoldering pit in the ground. All that was left of his parents, who were home at the time, was a little bit of charred bone and some barely identifiable jewelry, just enough for a funeral. Owen disapproved of his friendship with Father Carson. Ned knew his uncle disliked the priest, but he knew that the will which appointed Owen his guardian insisted that Ned's religion was not to be interfered with. A complaint by Ned to the trustees of the estate in New York would be enough to deprive Owen of the generous monthly remittance he received as Ned's guardian. So now Ned stood there, watching his friends exercising, and he felt ill at ease. Owen could not interfere with his relations with Father Carson, but he most emphatically could mess up his friendship with Mike and Walter. Almost as if his uneasiness communicated itself to the others, they stopped tugging and turned to him. "'And this, Jim,' Mike said out of the blue, "'I am boss, and your Uncle Owen can climb a gum-bush and bury his face in a bucket of chewing gum if he thinks he can tell me who can speak to whom, and who can be with whom in here. If you like, I can write this on a piece of paper and send it to him special delivery. 
Now let's cut the horsing around and get downstairs to the pole. The speed with which news traveled in Hillstown always amazed Ned. From Mike's remark, it was clear that by now everybody knew about Owen's quarrel with Walter's father. Two hours later, refreshed, cool, pleasantly fatigued, yet thoroughly invigorated by the workout, they stepped out of the gym and headed down to the road where Mike's car was parked. The easiest way to Walter's house was to swing down Route 87 for six blocks and then turn into the main street of the town. Now, as they were ready to start, they came to a halt and stared. Route 87, normally very lightly trafficked, was jammed. Bumper to bumper, in every size and shape, trucks rolled along 87 towards Dumas and Amarillo, and everyone was painted bright green, with the letters B-E-S-T in bold shining white upon their sides. End of chapter 3